Well, this following Jesus, it's a long portage in the same wandering direction, up and down and all around. Whoa, man. Thank you, friends. We've been going on a journey through Lent. Do you know what this thing is here? Do you know what this little thing is called? Change the history of Canada. This little piece of technology here, right here in my canoe pack. Do you know what it is? It's called a tump line. T-U-M-P, tump line. And when you put it up here in your forehead, it not only messes up your hair, it helps distribute the weight and helps you carry more stuff. And that makes the fur trade more profitable, and that opens up Canada, and that changes history. But that's a little factoid for you. It also helps you... Uh, when you go camping, canoe camping, you've got to carry everything with you, right? In here. Now, when we follow Jesus, it's true that we lay down our burdens with him, but we need to take some things along for the journey. And the last several weeks, we've been talking about good spiritual habits to take with us on our Christian journey following Jesus. Do you remember what the first habit was we talked about? I'll give you a hint. Oh, prayer. Good. Okay. And then we talked about living simplicity. Someone was here. And last week, John talked about Scripture, engaging with the Bible. That was, John, that was really good. Thank you. And uh, today, we're going to talk about generosity. Now, those are not all the spiritual, good spiritual habits we can develop, but just a sampling, an idea of things that we need to take with us in, on the journey in our backpacks some tools that we need to take with us. And what we've been trying to do as we go along is engage with different folks from Elam who aren't experts in some of these things, but just their fellow learners and, and fellow travelers. And today, I'm really pleased to invite Tia McDonald and Jacob um, up and we're going. I want to specifically interview Tia about. Um, I better not find a mic that's working. About uh, generosity. Tia, give us a little bit of background. Why are you in Winnipeg? Um, well, okay. Is this working? No. We lost okay, our sound well, guy. Voice is really loud, anyways. Sure. Um, so I actually had a full tuition scholarship. Um, for wrestling, and then I came to Winnipeg, um, and it had a lot to do with prayer as well, and this is kind of where God led me to. So. Great. So you're a, a U of W student studying, living across the street in McPeters Hall. Yep. You're also, you got here originally on a wrestling scholarship, yep. and uh, don't mess with her, okay? <laughs> don't mess with her, and don't mess with Mazzy either, because they'll, they'll both take you down, Okay. Don't be deceived by the smile, all right? And the handsome guy beside you is? Um, this is my fiancé, Jacob. Your fiancé, Jacob. Okay. Congratulations. Excellent. Well, congratulations to you both. Tia, can you tell us what is your experience with receiving generosity from other people? Okay, um, so there's a lot. I'll go with bigger stuff first. Um, so, like, my mom was a single mom, 
Um, so I really couldn't afford wrestling, um, but I really wanted to at the time. Um, so actually my uh, team that was like primarily Catholic and Christians actually, which is amazing, I found out after. Um, and they paid for most of my tournaments, like, and pu parents took turns paying for my dinners and stuff like that, which was amazing because my mom couldn't afford it otherwise. Great. Cool. So you experienced generosity yeah. from other people. Great. Um, and then little things too, like people giving me like surprise gifts and even cards for my birthday and just someone made me a cake and that was awesome because I haven't had cake for a while because of cutting weight for wrestling. So that was great. Um, and just like yeah, those are kind of the bigger things. And just, like, people loving, uh, lending, like, a helping hand, too, is simple things of generosity. Like, my friend Mazzy, like, she often help me, helps me with, like, RA stuff um, when I'm really busy. So, yeah. Right. Okay. So, in turn, how do you try to pay it forward or extend generosity to other people? Um, well, I give to the church often. Um, I try to give to the food bank. Um, often as well. Jacob and I also have two sponsored children from World Vision. Um, and then I also give to the university as well. Um, yeah, and then often, because I live down Portage, um, so I, I often encounter homelessness too. Um, so I often give food, or if I even have the time that day, um, I'll take someone out to eat. And I suggest that, like, the more people from the church do that because you really get to listen to their story. And this one man that I met, um, he didn't have family in Winnipeg, so it was really nice just to um, have a meal with him and learn about his story. Great. Yeah. Okay, now I'm, I just have a, a question for you. Okay, you're a student, yeah. and students don't have money. Yeah. <laughs> but you're telling me that uh, you're giving money to the church and giving people money that you don't know. And you don't have, you're, you guys are overachievers because you have not just one, but two <laughs> world children. I mean, that's great. I mean, that's, but where, um, I don't want to put you on the spot, but where does this money come from? Like, because it's expensive to go to school yeah. and you're getting married this year and all this stuff. Um, I often try to save money myself um, because it's a, honestly like such a joy to give back to people and like to see that reward. And I feel like we're so blessed. And so, like, I try to look for deals myself so I can give more to others. Or even just, like, the food bank, like, or finding someone that um, needs food that day. I get extra bananas and apples, and then I see someone on the street and give them that. Um, so it's like saving money yourself and living simply. Right. Um, but also, Jesus said in the Bible, too, that um, there's always going to be the poor to help, right? So not all the time you're going to be able to help. The, everyone you see, especially down Portage, there's a lot. Um, so I try to help as much as I can, but you're not always able to. And prayer as well. There's many charities to give to. Pray to the ones that you find um, touch your heart and that God is leading you to give to. Great. Well, thus ends the sermon. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Do you mind? Do you mind? Uh, you guys are getting married in August. Yeah, okay. All right. Do you mind if we just pray for you? And we're going to ask God to supply all your needs because I know there's lots of stuff going on with you guys. And we're going to trust God. All right? Thank you. Okay. Father, I want to thank you for Tia.
and the blessing she is here. I thank you for Jacob as well. Lord, I pray your blessing on their engagement and the marriage. It's going to be a time of great celebration and great, great joy, not just that for them, but for us as well. And Lord, I pray that you will supply everything that they need, everything they need. We confidently come before you in the name of Jesus and pray that you give them everything that they need in the future, future direction, guidance, provision, protection, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was saying before, it's, it's been kind of fun to um, hear from different folks at Elam and hear their stories. And again, uh, no one would claim to be, I'm an expert in prayer, or I'm an expert in this or that or other spiritual discipline. But it's encouraging for us to learn how we're all growing. We all have a growing edge in some area. And this morning, I want to talk about a little bit about generosity. Now, when preachers talk about money... Our immediate impulse is to make sure my wallet's still there and make sure it remains firmly closed, all right? I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to try to get stuff out of you today because what I have to say to all of us is for our benefit. When I mentioned I was talking about generosity uh, this Sunday, um, someone told me a story about some very prominent TV preacher who is raising money for an airplane or something like that. And I'm not going to distract us by spending any more time on that negative image. I just thought, well, that is the furthest from where we're going to be at this morning. I'm not after an airplane or even an airplane ticket. Or maybe, well, if you want to make me a paper airplane, that's fine. That's all I want from you today. But what I want is for you to pay attention as God talks to us. We're going to look at, of all things, a fundraising letter. A fundraising letter from the early church. Um, and it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And here's the problem. This is the reason why the early church was raising money. It was presented with a really pressing issue. The Christians, you remember the church started in Jerusalem. A lot of Jewish Christians. Then God opened the floodgates and all of a sudden Gentiles were in God's family too. That was great. They were selling everything they had. They were sharing uh, life in common. They would put the NDP to shame. The NDP doesn't know anything about socialism. I mean, the early church was sharing everything, looking after each other's needs, You remember a couple of weeks ago we talked there was a bit of a spat and misunderstanding, some ethnic strife about whose widows were getting taken care of and they sorted that out to make sure it didn't matter what ethnicity people were. They were all being looked after. So as the church was growing, this was a good thing, but they were under tremendous persecution, tremendous financial pressure. And there was some economic pressure that hit Jerusalem. As well, Jerusalem... It was a little bit like Kelowna, B.C., where in this, a lot of folks would move there to retire. A lot of Jews would say, oh, well, you know what? All my life I wanted to retire in Jerusalem, the holy city. And so some of these older folks and, and widows, they were, they were there, and, but they were making a contribution to the church, but they're also kind of depleting the finances of the church. So there were just a number of economic pressures on the church in Jerusalem. They were going through some really difficult financial times. 
So Paul, being the good pastor that he was, started circulating all through the Mediterranean basin saying, hey, you guys, we're going to take up a collection for the church in Jerusalem because they're going through hard times. So the word spread. Now, if you think about the geography of the area, okay, Jerusalem is kind of at the end of the Mediterranean, right? So they start circulating the news through Greece and Turkey and Italy. They start raising money. It takes a long time. I think it took months and months and years, actually, to get the news out, to collect all the money and transport it safely back to Jerusalem. So this was a long-term project. And in the midst of this, Paul was corresponding, writing letters back and forth to Christian churches. That the New Testament is, a lot of it is made up of these letters from Paul and other Christian leaders to Christians that spread out all over the the known world at that time, all over the Roman Empire and saying, hey, how's it going? But there's a lot of interesting personal stuff in there. Little notes like Paul sends to one of his friends, can you bring my coat Bring my, bring my books too because I need to catch up on some studying. Or, or say, ho to so, say hi to so-and-so and tell uh, these two people to stop fighting. All kinds of little personal notes in there that make it such interesting correspondence to read. It's so human and so real. But in 2 Corinthians, there's this appeal, a reminder, a gentle reminder from Paul saying, Hey, you people in Corinth, uh, you guys have promised to come up with a collection of money for all the suffering Christians in Jerusalem. And now here's a little reminder. So that's a little preface to to the background of what I'm going to read. Paul starts off this letter. It's really cute. Now watch carefully. Watch the psychology in this opening paragraph. I don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. And I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia, just north of there, that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. So the people in Corinth the year previously said, yeah, we can help Jerusalem. Yeah, we'll raise money. So Paul goes up to north in Macedonia saying, guess what those people down in southern Greece are doing? They're going to do this. They're going to raise money to help the Christians, suffering Christians. Will you do the same? Yeah, sure. So there's this righteous circle of, of giving and generosity beginning, getting started. But Paul's writing this letter back to the people in Corinth. He says, for I'm sending these brothers to be sure that you really are ready, as I've been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want you to be wrong in my boasting about you. We'd be embarrassed. Not to mention your own embarrassment. If some of the Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. Now, so he's saying to the Corinthians, well, just to be sure, and just to save you some embarrassment, I'm sending some of the brothers a little bit early to make sure that all the, all the receding, all the financial loose ends are tied up and ready to go. That way you won't be embarrassed, and they won't be embarrassed, and you will demonstrate what I already know about you, that you are awesome. See the reverse psychology there? He's just gen- it's just a gentle way of reminding, oh, oh yeah. It's kind of like what Luann often does to me on a Sunday. Did you bring a check? Uh, no. Sorry, I forgot. Again. Which is why 
I asked Rachel to design these pre-authorized giving forms. It's mostly for my benefit, but if you want to take advantage of them too, because I know you want to remember and plan intentionally to give. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But, so that's what Paul is doing. It's just a gentle reminder. I know you guys want to give. So let's, let's get ready to do that. So I thought I would send these brothers ahead of me to make sure that the gift you promised is ready. But here's the bottom line. I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. We know the difference between a gift that's given freely and a gift that's given grudgingly, right? Now, the bottom line, we'd probably just like to receive the gift anyway. But imagine you're at a party, a birthday party, and someone reluctantly says, here's your present, you know. And and with all kinds of passive-aggressive, you know how hard I shop for that, you know, you want to know what I spent on that, and blah, blah, blah. It just takes all the joy out of receiving the gift. You feel like, honestly, I feel like I'd like to give it back to you. Unless you really want it. But anyway, that's your issue. But the bottom line, you want a gift to be willing, given out of a good heart. So Paul, in his generosity, he thinks generously of others. He's saying to these Corinthians, okay, you guys promised to do this, and I know you're going to do it. I believe in you. I believe the best in you. I know you guys can do this. And I don't even need to remind you, even though I already have, of getting ready to give the gift. So let's do it, and let's... He's thinking well. I think a generous person just looks at other people and thinks generously of them. Yesterday, Luann and I were walking downtown, and we were waiting for a a stoplight to change because... I always try to obey the traffic lights, especially when I'm walking with Luann. But then anyway, we were walking across, and, and this this couple was having a, a loud scrap argument on the uh, corner. And uh, we didn't think anything of it because, you know, it, was just, it wasn't our deal. But then the lady came over and started apologizing for all the language that they were using, and the gentleman came too, and I thought, Oh, wow, you know, you didn't have to do that. That was very kind of you. And and I realized afterwards, I said to Luann as we were walking away, do you know, most people just want to be decent human beings. We want to do the right thing, right? We know that if we've kind of embarrassed ourselves or made a bad choice, we want to make that right with other people. And a generous person, I think, thinks generously of other people. You just have that attitude towards others. And that's what Paul is, is communicating in this passage Then he goes on and says in his letter, and he says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Generous people recognize that we all reap what we sow. We all reap what we sow, for better or for worse. And if you're parenting young children, one of your favorite words is consequence. And you say to your child, Do you want a consequence? Which generally has kind of a negative connotation of discipline. There can be good consequences too, but there are all consequences to our actions, right? But generous people recognize that we all reap what we sow. It's very true. Paul continues, You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Generous people are generous because of internal decisions, not external pressure. Okay? Generous people have already decided in their heart, this is what God is leading me to give. As Tia was saying, 
pray about charities, different opportunities. We can't give to everything, but pray about a few and focus on them. They'll, they'll line up with the passions that God has given you and invest in those things. Choose to support them wisely. But don't, generous people don't respond to external pressure, guilt trips. I'm going to fast until you send me X amount of dollars, you know, or any of that manipulation. That's, that is not of God. And manipulating people and twisting their arms. It's one thing to, to tell a, a moving emotional story, but, but to just manipulate people to try to wring every last dollar out of them, that does not honor God at all. So generous people are generous because of their internal decisions, of what God has been saying to them, not because someone else is manipulating them. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. He doesn't want a gift that's been given grudgingly. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Just look at the language here. It's not a language of scarcity. Generous people don't give in to a scarcity mentality. Oh, but if I give you something, I won't have anything left for me. Oh, dear. That's a scarcity mentality. But if we have a God who's generous and supplies for us, then in faith we can provide money and invest in his kingdom and, and, and give generously to others, and we can trust him to supply what we need. Then you... This language here, the, the, look how the word all is, is used here. We'll provide all that you need. You'll have everything you need, always, and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. One of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs nineteen seventeen: He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. Now, kind of silly, when you think about me, how can I lend money to God? It's all his anyway, right? But if we lend money to God, is he going to rip us off? Is he going to say, ha, 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 I've been waiting for that 20 bucks. You're not going to get it back. Nah, 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 nah. No. Is God going to respond like that? Of course not. He who, get, who, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for what he has done. Proverbs 19.17. Put it on your refrigerator, okay? Well, get a tattoo if you want. Anyway, it's a good verse to remember when we think about generosity. Generous people do not give into a scarcity mentality. Oh no, if I give, there won't be enough for me. No. Now listen carefully. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. There are some heretical blasphemous preachers who will say they want your money to support their program and God will automatically bless you with new car, new house, new business, whatever. We don't give in order to get. We give because we've received, right? But we don't give in order to get more from God. The funny thing is, when we give, we know that we can trust God to supply everything we need. But we don't give to get. That's pure selfishness. And God will judge anyone who's into preaching and promoting the prosperity gospel. I don't say that very often about people 
but he will. So we're not into that. But on the other hand, don't give in to a scarcity mentality. This quote from Anne Frank, I found it this morning, I love it. No one has ever become poor by giving. Think about that. No one's ever become poor by giving. God's the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat in the same way. He'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. When God produces a harvest of generosity in us, we live freely. All of a sudden, we give up fear and control over our lives. We're not gripped by those things. We can live freely. And I mean, if it works for you, just go dancing down Portage Avenue. You know, live, live freely in that sense. It's like, huh, I don't, I don't have to be encumbered by the worries and care. It doesn't mean I stop planning. It doesn't mean I'm not a good steward of my finances. Just the pressure's off because I know that God can supply. And as Tia was saying, there is a joy in giving. Not because it demonstrates, oh, what a wonderful person I am. It's just like when we receive, we know how great that makes us feel to receive them something, and then we, we pay it forward. We give it to someone else, and we give it away because we've received so much from God himself. So Paul is interested in God producing a great harvest of generosity in his friends that he's writing. Generous people know they can trust God to supply what they need. Last night, I was at a fundraiser for a camp I used to work with when I first moved here. And I saw a gentleman that, who's been following Jesus for a long time. This man, to me, exemplifies a spirit of generosity. Because he's not just generous with his money. He's generous with his time. He's generous with his attitudes towards others. I can think of a time when I recently put my foot in my mouth talking to him, and he was so gracious, so generous in his attitude. It took me back. It stunned me. And I thought, wow, you are a gracious person. It's inspiring to see people like that, and God use people like that. And it encourages me to be generous in my attitudes towards others as well. Generous people know they can trust God to supply what they need. Paul says, listen, if you, in, if you give your money to support these suffering Christians in Jerusalem, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And then we take your gifts to those who need them, and when we do that, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they'll give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you're obedient to the good news of Christ. That's how I felt when I looked at this gentleman that I saw last night. I, thought, I looked at him and thought, wow, God, you're awesome. You worked in his life all, all the years of his life. You've blessed his business. You've blessed his family. Just, it's like throwing a, a little pebble in a lake and the ripples just spread. You know, you know what it's like when the lake's really still and you throw a pebble in and the ripples just go and go and go? The generosity that God has sown into that man's life, the ripples just keep on going and going and going. Generous people create what I call a cycle of kindness in other people. It's kind of a herd mentality. Uh, you've got a, a, a herd of cattle or bison out in the field and one of them starts running. The other ones look around and think, 
he's running. I guess I better run too. And then they look around. Ooh, I guess everybody else is running. So they all start running. They don't know why they're running. Maybe the first one doesn't even know why they're running, but they're all running, right? It's the, the herd mentality. So this, this kind of feedback loop. Well, I think what God desires is that as we encourage each other in our acts of generosity, not to be seen or not to be flashy or not to be demonstrative, not to get to our name on put up somewhere and, you know, in big, bold letters, but just as we quietly go about our business blessing people and being generous, it creates this ripple effect. And as we receive generosity from someone else through God, we say, wow, I can do that too. And we take risks of faith and we share. And it just this cycle of kindness spreads and spreads in other people. That's how the kingdom of God spreads, right? Jesus said, listen, you've been freely given to. Freely give, then you go and give freely yourself, right? Paul said, I'm only passing on to you what I received from Jesus himself. That's what it boils down to. So I think that generous people create a cycle of kindness in other people. And then they'll pray with you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Well, how do we close? How do we wrap things up with being generous? See, all these characteristics of a generous person, they, they think well of others. They think generously about other people. They make decisions on their own, in their own hearts, about how to give. They don't respond to pressure. They don't give because they have to. They give because they want to and because God's directing them. They always believe that God can provide for them. And as we are generous, as we live lives of generosity with each other, we know that God will provide for us. And it just creates rippling positive circles of generosity on our planet. Unless our lives are generous, our faith is starving to death. Let me leave you with that quote from Canadian author Ann Voskamp. Unless our lives are generous... Our faith is starving to death. We need to be generous because it's just hardwired into us. If we follow Jesus, if we receive from him, then we can be generous. And we can make good choices about um, how we invest our time and money and energy. I made an allusion to uh, a pre-authorized form that's in the bulletin. Take it home. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to twist your arm. It might be just a tool that you can use to make it financial giving part of your budgeting, part of your process, not just a a respond to, oh no, we need money today, but just make it part of your habit and and discipline. And I can relate to John too. I mean, sometimes it's great to be able to, as an act of worship, to put something in the offering plate. This form is made for people like me who tend to forget things and just want to make it part of the routine. Whatever God tells you, do that, okay? Don't do it because Rick is telling you to do it. Do it because God is telling you to do it. But remember, unless our lives are generous, our faith is starving to death. Let's pray. Father, we are asking you to help us to live generous lives. Lives that um, we receive so much from you. And we want to be grateful. So give us grateful hearts, Father. Help us to 
Just count our blessings literally every day and give out whatever resources we have. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for what you are doing and thank you for what you are going to do through Elam Chapel. We pray these things confidently in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.